All right, so we've been in a series on the Apostles' Creed, which is the oldest and most said creed within the church. Uh, It summarizes the essence of what it is we believe. And so we've been going line by line. There's 12 affirmations total uh, within the creed. And we're going line by line and saying, is it scriptural and what does it mean? Now, of course, on Easter Sunday will be the last uh, statement that we'll look at. And so we'll be celebrating the, uh, the, the ending of this particular series and moving into something else. But, but until then, we're right here in the middle now of the creed, the middle section, of course, belonging to Jesus. Um, and so, thank you, son. And so notice uh, with me Matthew 12. If you will, turn in your Bible there to Matthew 12. There should be one right there on your row that you can open up and look at. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. And this is a pretty peculiar little text, and I'm not going to read but just a couple verses here. So notice this in Matthew chapter 12, and we're going to drop down to verse 38. And by the way, while you're turning there, uh, I hope some of your, your kids came home last week and asked questions like, What is conception? What is a virgin? <laughs> I was hoping that would, you know. Did any, that happen to anybody? I'd like to talk to you afterward, you know. <laughs> uh, going over the creed, of course, there are some, uh, some, some real things that are going on. And so, anyway, I thought that was funny. All right. Notice uh, the sign of Jonah here. Then, this is uh, 12 and 38. Then some of the scribes uh, and the Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, We wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Lord Jesus, bless now this holy reading. Bless it in such a way that we can respond to it, we pray in your name. Amen. Death is mentioned no less than four times in the Creed. Now, the creed's fairly short. It's very memorable and easy to remember. And yet, four times it speaks of death. That's more times than it says God. So, it must be important. Death, as we know, is a part of life. We don't know a life where there is no death. And yet we have a hunch that it shouldn't be like this. That something's gone awry. That something is wrong. You know, death stops things in its tracks. You go to crank the car and it's dead. Change of plans. We're not in control of whether or not we will die. We will die. You say, man, that's a great way to start a sermon. Now everybody's with you, right? (laughs) 
Death is the great equalizer of mankind. It's the one thing that we all have in common. We are going to die. We're not going to live as we are right now forever. The creed doesn't shy away from death. Instead, it takes it right to the center of the creed. Right to the section on Jesus. So death is a part of life, yes, but it wasn't meant to be like this. We find death strange. We don't really find fingernails strange. We don't ever question their existence. We don't have a major problem with breathing air or having to drink water. But we find death strange. We find it unbelievable. Unbearable. You probably remember your first experience of death. I do. It was a chilly winter day. We were cutting wood, my dad, my brother, and me. Typically, I would cut the wood with an axe. I have a scar to prove it. And, uh, and then Justin would stack it, and Daddy would tell us what to do. At least that's the way I remember it. And uh, we were cutting wood on, a, on sort of a little bit of a chilly day, and Miss Peggy's van rolls up. She was the church secretary. And she had a van as big as our van now, which is a 12-passenger. That was back in the 90s, which was unusual, but she had it. It was kind of like a small RV. She pulls up and jumps out and says, Brother Hal, which is my dad, who's a pastor, Marty has been shot. She told dad where they were taking him, and we just left everything as it was, jumped in the vehicle as we were dressed, and went to the hospital. When we arrived, the family was starting to trickle in, some friends, and my dad, of course, being called there to minister in that moment of crisis, disappeared. People were praying, people were crying, people were worried. And as as about an 11-year-old, I really didn't understand all of what was going on in the moment. Joey who was sort of like, uh, back then, Bob to my kids. <laughs> he, uh, he, he was married, but he was kind of like the cool, not biologically connected to you uncle, you know, that dresses up in all the military gear and lets you dress up in his military gear. And we watched Rambo, my first R-rated movie with him, and all this kind of stuff, you know. He would let us do things that our parents would. He was there because he was connected to the family, and so he sat with me and Justin, and we waited And I saw people coming in and out. And then Joey said, sit here, boys. He went in. And when he returned, when he returned, he grabbed both of us by the head, buried us in his chest, and he simply said, he's gone. He's gone. How? I mean, he's in his 20s. What do you mean he's gone? For how long? Christmas is in a week or so. 
What about his wife? What about Tiffany, his one-year-old? She won't even get to know him. What do you mean he's gone? Something isn't right. And as my head was buried, I knew deep in my little soul, this wasn't the way it was supposed to be. Surely, someone made a mistake. And they did. That day a friend of mine accidentally shot him in a hunting accident right through the heart. And his last words were, oh God, help me. And he died right there in the woods. My world was turned upside down. He had just recently converted to being a Christian. Given his life to Jesus and was following him. Why now? How did this happen? What does this mean? What do we do? I remember getting back home that day, and we all just sort of sat on the couch. And I just asked Daddy, I was like, what what do we do now? Death isn't right. There's something off about death. There's something wrong and strange about it. We don't find other things that way. We find death to be that way. We don't really believe in it. We believe that person is off somewhere else. We don't want to believe that they're gone. We deny it. Further, we don't believe that we deserve to die. And un. Fathomably, we do not truly think we deserve death because of our sin. We don't believe we deserve hell. And it's because of these beliefs that we don't really also believe in eternal life. This is why so many people live their lives as if this is the only world. This is the only existence. We don't believe that we merit death in our life. And therefore we don't believe we need a rescue. And if we don't believe we need a rescue. We remain stuck in death and sin. Well. The creed talks openly about death. Notice these words right from the creed. And by the way, we finished up last week, right? Virgin Mary, Pontius Pilate, that was the two main points, which is the beginning of his life and the ending of his human life here before resurrection. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he rose from the dead. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. All four points. Death is there. And yet what God has done is there too. Which is to defeat death. It is strange. It is wrong. Something's not right about it. And that's why Jesus came. 
to rescue us from sin and death. And they go together. Death, we are told, was introduced through Adam and Eve because of their sin. You say, way to go, guys. Well, if it wouldn't have been them, it'd have been me. It'd have been you. We've all chosen to go our own way. He descended to the dead. What an interesting statement and oftentimes overlooked in the creed and in many versions of the creed not even mentioned it and yet is found in the earliest versions of the creed. This refers to the period simply between Christ's death and His resurrection. Between Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. There's a lot of things going on apparently within that short window of time. And our text today, Jesus is speaking and He says, the only sign you're going to get, I'll tell you the miracle of miracles, is the sign of Jonah. Moral not to come. And according to the scripture, there are three key events when Jesus is in Sheol. Or what some have called, when you translate it into Greek, Hades. Or just simply the place of the dead, which is what Sheol kind of means. Place of shadows. You remember the psalmist speaks about Sheol, right? Don't let my soul remain in Sheol. I mean, even David had a hunch that when he died, he wasn't wanting to remain there. Here's the three key events taken, by the way, from Timothy Tennant's book on the Creed. The first point is Jesus proclaimed the gospel to people throughout time who were awaiting their full deliverance. So when he dies and descends to the dead, he goes down there and preaches a three-day revival, basically. In 1 Peter 3:18 and 20 through 20 says Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners. Thanks be to God to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. So he went, notice this, he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Notice the language. Those who disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. He goes down and he preaches. Because no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Period. Doesn't matter if you're Old Testament or New Testament. You see, you're always saved by faith. In Jesus, whether or not they knew him or not personally. Now he shows up, the one that they had prophesied about. The one they had foreseen with the eye of faith. Now he shows up in no other place than the place of the dead. What a thought that is. And you remember Jesus gives not a parable, but a true story where he says, There was a man who died. Poor man. And Lazarus, who died. And they both went to the place of the dead. And there was a comforted side, and there was a tormented side. And there was a great gulf between them. Point number two about 
his descent to the dead. The descent to the dead expresses the full victory of Jesus Christ over Satan. And all the principalities and powers of evil. So Colossians says he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So he goes down there and he defeats Satan. This is Satan's domain. I mean, this is always, in all the myths of the other world religions and stuff like that, they always have, you know, somebody that's in charge of Hades, right? Anybody in charge of Hades but God. He comes down there and grabs the gate keys and takes them. And he takes his people up. He descends so he can now ascend. And in his train comes up all of the righteous, all of the faithful that patiently waited for him. And now he's here. The descent to the dead, thirdly, unites Jesus with the saints from all time in his glorious ascension. Ephesians tells us, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, you remember this text, he led a host of captives that were held in death's grip. And he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, Paul says, what does it mean but that he also descended to the lower regions of the earth? So he descended to the dead. But as they say, you can't keep a good man down. And he is the only good man. Isn't that worth repeating? He is the only good man. This is why only God could have accomplished this. This is why only a virginal conception could have accomplished. He bypassed, remember, Adam? And he has no sin. And the gates of hell cannot keep him contained. Death itself is reversed. And so, the next statement, right? This is our sixth affirmation of the twelve in the creed. The third day he rose from the dead. (laughs) Descended to the dead. Now he's risen from the dead. And so the resurrection, of course, is the central proclamation of Christianity. It's the one miracle by which all the miracles hang upon. It is the hinge of our faith. Everything hangs on whether or not he bodily rose from the dead or not. And the good news is, and what this affirmation says, he did. He rose from the dead. He took that same cold, dead body and life came back to it. And his body isn't there any longer. He woke up. You know, they call the Buddha, that means enlightenment. They call him the man who woke up. I got news for you, he didn't wake up like this. In Buddhism, they teach about leaving the body. There's no redemption for the body. The body is a chain that holds you here. That is not Christian, my friends. God gave us this body. He gave you your body. And He says, present your body as a living sacrifice. And one day, I'll raise it up again. I'll raise your body. Everybody you see in this place, that body, that body will be raised again. 
As C.S. Lewis said, and I love the quote, he says, You have a body, you are a soul, but they're meant to go together. We're responsible for this body. That's what the scripture teaches us. This body is the way that we live in this world. And it will be reunited even after death. It doesn't matter if you are cremated or buried. It doesn't matter what happens to your body. He will bring it back to life. That's something that's important and good. (laughs) So why is this a central miracle? Because it is the public demonstration of God's victory over sin, death, and hell. It is the proof of proofs. This is why Jesus says, the only sign you're going to get is like the sign of Jonah. Where he was swallowed by a fish and stayed for three days and then was burped back up. Actually says vomited. Trying to be nice. He says, yeah, I'm going to be in the heart of the earth. In the netherworld. In Hades. In death's grip for three days. And then I'm going to break it. And I'm going to make a public show, a laughing stock of the enemy. Who thought they had me, but then the great reversal begins. And everything from that point changes. And even death itself now is the tool to eternal life. You must die to yourself in order to empty out. You know, we're, a lot of people are full of their self. The only way to get unfull, I know that's not a word, okay, emptied out is to die to yourself. And when we die, we are then a seed that will bear fruit one day again. I mean, this is the only kind of hope I have, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit more in a different sermon on the creed. It's the only hope I have when I do a funeral is that those who have died in faith... I mean, I looked at my... Pappy spoke at his funeral. I looked at Nana, Jessica's grandmother. I pointed right to their body and said, that body will rise again. This is not, last, this is not the last time you've seen this person. They will rise again. And it's only because of Jesus... The resurrection of Jesus is the guarantee of the first fruits of our future bodily resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is what makes Christianity so unique. Nobody else has a doctrine of resurrection like we do. Resuscitation? Yeah. Avatars? Yep. Idols? Yep. Not Bodily resurrection. Only Christians. We'll be talking about that more, as you can probably guess, on Resurrection Sunday. Who would have thought, you know? I've already got a beginning joke that day. I'm wondering if I should even share it, you know? I'm going to start off by saying, Jesus is dead. And I'm going to say, April Fool's. Because, you know, it's actually April 1, right? If you didn't know what day it was, I guess that wouldn't have been funny. I need, maybe now I need to tell people beforehand. You hate to have to prep a joke, though. You know what I mean? It just doesn't work right. The third statement of belief here is he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father Almighty. 
<laughs> so what comes up must go down. Is a rule in our world. And it is more difficult to reverse that, trust me, if you run or if you cycle, even a gradual grade on the road seems like Mount Everest. Right or wrong for those who run or walk or whatever. I mean, you're like, oh, this is that stretch of the road. And you're in a car, you're like, oh, this is really flat. Not when you're on a bike. It is more difficult to reverse what comes up must go down. Because once you're down, it's hard to get up. It's easy to fail. Falling is natural. You don't have to do much to, to get that done, you know. <laughs> Getting back up is what is difficult. Winning is difficult. Jesus is stronger than death. Even though he went all the way down. You can't go any further down than to the place of the dead. He goes all the way down. And then he goes all the way back up. He doesn't just come back to earth. He goes all the way to heaven. To sit at his father's right hand. In cessation. In other words, he ceased from his ministry on earth. In his unresurrected body. And now he sits in a position of authority. By his father. And you know what? He's waiting, but he's doing some things. (laughs) You remember the song? It was popular back in the 90s, you know, when I was in youth group and all that kind of stuff. Remember that? He came from heaven to earth to show the way. From the earth to the cross, our debt to pay. From the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. Lord, I lift your name on. I think we used to do like this. Because that was in back then, you know. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Raise the root. You remember that? Anybody anybody with me from millennial? Okay, maybe not. but Yeah, I think there's like something called... I don't know what they talk about now, but this is what we did, okay? <clears throat> and so, I, that's a, hey, that's a good little summary, isn't it? For, I mean, it shows the descent of Christ and His work for us and His ascent for us, which, which always, for me, spells victory. V for victory. And then, if you, and then I always add this part, too, since someone liked it. Uh, you know, you have the descent of Jesus, the ascent of... And then you have the descent of the Spirit, on Pentecost, and then he's going to have an ascent too, but with the church, with the bride, with the bride, which spells a W, which is win. It's a win. I mean, that's the way I look at it. You know, you have to come up with some funky things sometimes to remember stuff. You know what I mean? So I think that's a great one. He reverses death. He reverses death. And now, now, we as Christians, Paul says, look, Whether I stay or whether I go, I'm Jesus's. Heaven has already come to dwell. I already have eternal life. We're not waiting for eternal life, are we? If you're in Christ, you already have eternal life. That's the good news. We don't have to just, oh, we got to wait till we die and then something weird happens. No, we're going to be right with Jesus as soon as we're dead. That's something to say amen about. It is. And yet oftentimes we overlook the ascension. You know, the ascension of Jesus put, gets put on the back burner. This week I had the opportunity to teach my students at Calhoun about the, the ascension. I actually lined up with what we were doing. And we went to Madison Village. I taught on the ascension. And in my small group I taught on the ascension this week. So 
I won't uh, labor that whole sermon uh, out for you all this morning. But I will say this. His priestly role is being fulfilled as he's sitting there interceding for us. His prophetic role that says one day, one day, I'll put all my enemies under my foot. They're going to be done away with. And his kingly rule that every knee will bow before him and every tongue confess that he's Lord. You you know, you you either confess now and, and bend the knee now or later. It's going to happen. Just as sure as death is going to happen, so too will your confession of the Apostles' Creed. Everybody will confess it. Why not start now? Why not believe now? Why not today allow His life to come into our life? Notice the last statement here. From there He shall come to judge the living and the dead. This affirmation says this. He will come again. Just as sure as you saw Him come, just as sure as you saw Him resurrected and then ascended and taken by a cloud into heaven, and then the two angels said, hey, why are you still looking up? Let's get to work, man. Just as sure as you saw Him leave, He's going to come back. There's going to be a second advent, and then the judgment. What we do matters. We will be judged. All of us. No one escapes it. (laughs) But isn't it nice when the judge is your father? Isn't it nice when the defense attorney is your brother? Jesus. And isn't it nice when everybody in the courtroom knows that the accuser is a liar. Yeehaw! I mean, that's I mean, what you got to worry about? I mean, that's a that's that's a done deal there, isn't it? I don't know. I've never been to court, but I would imagine if I had that set up, I'd be kind of excited about what's going to happen. You know what I mean? Not much more to go. This we believe. So why Jonah? What's going on with the whole Jonah thing, right? Well, for one, I will plug this one for those of you who are Bible scholars. Because of this little gem, Jesus does prove to us that Jonah's story was real and not just a parable. You know, some people are like, I don't know about that whole fish thing. That's a little tough. Let's see if we've had any cases like that in the world, you know. Everybody always is looking through the medical records to see if anybody's been... And, you know, there's been a couple people, but they didn't make it out so well, okay? Not for three days. Not for three days. Um, But Jesus believed that Jonah was real. Jesus believed this really happened. And he said, just as sure as that happened, so too will something else that's unbelievable, even more unbelievable, and that is, I'm going to defeat death forever. I'm going to take the teeth right out of the enemy. He may be able to roar. He may be a roaring lion seeking whom he might devour, but all he can do is gnaw on you. That's a good country word, isn't it? Gnaw. Just gnaw on it. You know. Don't have any teeth at all. Secondly, why Jonah? Because it's the great reversal. I love this. 
I wrote this down last night. I was pumped about it then. I'm pumped about it now. Notice this. It's the great reversal, the recapitulation of all things in Christ Jesus. He undoes everything that we tangle ourselves up in. He redoes it and does it right. Notice, Jonah's audience was super evil. Remember, it was the Assyrians. They were the number one terrorist of the day. And Nineveh was their capital city. Jesus' audience was super righteous. Pharisees, remember? At least they thought they were. And compared to the Assyrian terrorist, they sure looked pretty good. So you have a comparison here. And then Jonah disobeys. Remember, he runs away and that's why he gets swallowed by it. Jesus obeys. He doesn't run away. Jonah, because of his disobedience, is swallowed by a big fish. And really the fish was rescuing Jonah. It was sent by God. Jesus, because of our disobedience, is swallowed by death and the grave. The cross, however, now is the tool by which we can die to our sin and live to Him. After three days, Jonah is vomited on the shore by the fish. After three days, Jesus is vomited up by death and hell. It can't stand the light. It's too much. He brought to a light. He brought light to a place of shadows. Sheol. Jonah preaches to sinners. Jesus preaches to sinners that thought they were okay. Not okay. Jonah preaches in order to bring condemnation to, to the judgment of the city. He wanted to see them burn. He was like, oh yeah, I'll go up there and preach. Y'all are going to hell, a bunch of sinners. And remember, he ascends a mountain and waits for them to be burned up. Jesus, he preaches to sinners, but then he ascends and welcomes all people to himself. You see, he redid it. He really did the whole story. That's what he was trying to tip him off to. What a glorious, glorious salvation that, I, that we have. What a reversal. What a sign is given not only to that generation, but also to all generations to come. Who's ready for Jesus to enter the dead areas of our life? Who's ready for the light of the world to come into this world and that world? Every person's a whole world, world of experiences, world of loves and fears and relationships and networks. Let him come into your world. Let him reverse the lust, the greed, the selfishness, the gossiping, the whatever. He can reverse it into something beautiful. He wants to make you beautiful and wonderful. And the good news is, he can do it. It's not just blowing smoke. He can do it. Go to Him. Sell all to gain Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.